How you guys? How was your Christmas? Really, that good. Woo! How was your Christmas? Yeah, I'll make you fake it. Well, hey, welcome to the remnant. I had a great one too. I'm very excited to be back. We got some sun outside. Abnormally warmer temperatures. Good time. So my name's Todd. I'm the pastor here. If it is your first time or it's your first time in a while, we are in the midst of a message. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, that's right now. See, me too. I'm barely here, apparently. Uh, in the midst of a series called Walking with Jesus. And the series is really us going through the Gospels and walking with Jesus through snapshots of his ministry. And primarily this time we've been going through the Gospel of John. Happens to be... My favorite, though, Emma, you'll be pleased to hear, I realize how much I actually like Matthew. Yeah, I tricked you. A little inside joke there. Emma thinks that's the only gospel I ever want to talk about is John. Um, but weirdly today, uh, I'll be talking about, even though it's been through John, we're going to talk uh, about a lesson that Jesus gives us in the book of Matthew. Now, considering the gospels are all Jesus' story, right, told from different people, um, it makes sense that there'll be certain stories highlighted in certain Gospels, right? Something might be really important to you to stand out, and something might be really important to Jill, and something might be really important to me, and, and it's all there. It's just what we highlight. Anybody here like rap, music, hip-hop, hippity-hop? I like, uh, it's a good time to be a Christian and like rap music because if you do, there's a lot of really good rappers out there that... Um, honestly, are poets. That's why I love rap. It's poetry. Poetry in motion. That's dance, isn't it? Anyway, it's, uh, yeah, it's like poetry. And there's a verse, a line, a bar, you might say, from a, uh, from a song called Wild Things by Andy Minio. And it says, he's describing himself, and the whole song is he, he goes and spends time with the people that Christians don't want him to spend time with. He tries to go to those people because they're the ones that need hope. And he has a line. I've always loved it. And it says, I talk about Jesus. All the Christians love me. I walk like Jesus. Now they want to judge me. Ain't it funny? And that's pretty true, isn't it? No? It is. See, everybody loves love. Everybody loves grace and forgiveness. Except when you have to offer grace and forgiveness to people you don't want to. So you like it when you receive it yourself. Who doesn't? Who doesn't want to be forgiven? Who doesn't want to not feel shame? It's a whole different matter when we have to forgive someone that has done the unforgivable to us. Even more so if they're a Christian. Or in the words of so many people when Christians mess up, a self-proclaimed Christian. That's like our preface, right? As though somehow real Christians don't sin. Right? Has anyone, anyone reached sinless state? No, but you've, you have, because you don't do those bad things, right? The problem is if I ask each of you to write down on a list what the bad, unforgivable things are, it's going to look different. Did you know that? You're going to have different things on the list. Some of them will be on there, and you're going to say, Todd, I forgive everything. No, 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 no. You know that in your head, but the practice of forgiveness is much more difficult because there's that area that you don't like. And I like to say this a lot. Jesus wants the thing that makes you uncomfortable. That's what he wants for you. Did you know that? Let's see if you're awake. Did you know that? When you're not nodding at all or giving me anything, this is where the southern preachers say, can I get an amen? I'm not doing that. 
right? Because I feel like it's awkward because it's like you trying to affirm me every time. But can I get a nod like you're hearing me? <laughs> I always want to make fun of the rebels. I will not nod. Um, yeah. So let me tell you a story. If you know anything about the remnant, every church is built on grace. We're not special in that. Um, but our tagline, our little motto is chosen by grace. God chooses us, right, for his kingdom, chooses us to adoption by his grace. We didn't earn this. You weren't so special that God just looked around and goes, you, I pick you, right? No, he chose you because of his love for you, not even because of your love for him. Isn't that interesting? That's another side note. So a long time ago when we first started, we had a guy uh, that started coming to church, young guy, and pretty passionate guy, which I admire because I'm passionate myself. Now, passionate people, giving you a little insight into myself, that is both good and terribly bad, right? Because when you are passionate, too many of you are going, yes, it is. When you're passionate about something positive, it's an awesome trait, right? Let's go and let's talk about grace. But when you're passionate about something, let's say, that upsets you, that passion comes across as a, you know, an uncontrolled rage. When, that's what I always tell people. I'm not angry, I'm just passionate while I scowl at you. But he uh, was a passionate guy. And he was an idea guy. And I love ideas too. So he came up and he'd have all these cool ideas. And the problem is, is that when you didn't like one of his ideas, he would get very passionate about being angry at you. Right? And by liking one of his ideas, meaning I couldn't just say, hey, that sounds awesome. Let's do it. You go do it, and we'll support you. No, I don't know what he really wanted. Have you ever met someone like that? They have a really good idea, and they want you to do it, but then somehow you didn't, do, you didn't like it enough? I have. I deal with it all the time. And so long story short, he ends up leaving um, because of some relational issues with people in the church. Now, here's the thing that a lot of us, you, us, you, 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 people in the room, you, you do this, you do it, is that we tend to, when we leave a church or leave a place, I always say this, I'm like, listen, you can leave, you have that right, can you not burn our house down on the way out? Because that tends to be the way it is. It tends to be that we get upset, right, we're hurt, and typically, let me tell you why we do it, why you do it. It's because you feel guilty, like people are upset at you, so you do that thing that people tend to do. Well, they're mad at me, so I'm going to be madder at them right? I don't care. And so you begin to highlight everything wrong with the church so that you feel justified in leaving instead of just saying, typically, by the way, when you leave like that, it's because you know you're not leaving for right reasons. That's a real thing, okay? Did you know you shouldn't just decide you don't want to go to church that day? God's calling me away. Where are you going to church? I don't know yet. God wouldn't do that. Do you hear me? God wouldn't do that. If God's calling you away, he's calling you somewhere, I believe that. Sometimes it's a place, sometimes a specific church, but he's not just going to call you in your town to leave a church. And I hear this all the time. No, the pre is the preaching bad? Is the teaching bad? No. Is the, is, the, well, you know, is the community dangerous? Is leadership? No, everything's great. Why are you leaving? God's just calling me away. That typically means you either don't like the worship, don't like the time, right, or you don't like being held accountable. Whoop. So you got to move on to the next place so that they don't know you, right? And then when they get to know you, you hop again. That's what you do. You guys are asleep today. Listen, I'll leave right now. If we all going to either be asleep or are we going to wake up and do this? You with me? Thanks. Can I get an amen? <laughs> anyway, uh, so when he left, he kind of burned us on the way out. Said a lot of negative things. Six months later, I don't know how long, he showed up randomly. You know, and, and we, at the time, we were a very small church, and people were like, oh, he's back. What's he here for? So after the service, 
we used to be in the evenings, and then we would, we ate, did we eat before? I forget, Joe. We ate before. Isn't that crazy? It was only like four months ago. So we eat before, but afterwards, uh, we have hangout time, and then we go to men's group, right, right away. And so he came to men's group, and he came up to me, and he walks up to me, and he says, hey, Todd. And I said, hey, man. He goes, I just want to tell you I'm sorry. I was like, okay. You know what happened? And he kind of just told me, and he's like, I'd really like to, you know, start coming again. I said, okay. And he literally goes, that's it? And I said, yeah, are you sorry? And he goes, yeah. I said, okay, man, I, I, I believe what we say around here. He was literally shocked. I didn't ask him any other questions. I didn't hammer him about it. He came to me, and he repented, and I accepted it. Now, guess what? Here's where the story you're not going to like. He did it again, probably a year later. But that's not my role, right? God very specifically told me how I'm supposed to respond based on what I know. When we talk about forgiveness, when you talk about Christianity, the number one thing you're going to, the words, the buzzwords you're going to hear are love, forgiveness, grace, truth, gospel, Jesus, hugs, right? You, you hear these things and they become the key words and the buzzwords, but, and everybody would say they're all about that as Christians. Here's the truth. I don't think you are, and I don't think I am all the time. And here's the reason why. We are, we are afraid of forgiveness. We're afraid of it. Because that guy, the reason, and people were like, hey, Todd, and by the way, I used to err too far on that side. I just accept, you know, the guy punches me, steals all the money, and comes back and is like, hey, I'm forgiving. I'm like, you're welcome back. Be the treasurer again. No, right? I used to be that guy. And then you can go on the other side. We'll talk about in a minute where I'm like, oh, I don't believe you. Prove it. Here's the thing. We are afraid of forgiveness because when we forgive, we are opening ourselves back up to pain again. You understand? Whether it's your spouse, whether it's your friend, whether it's a coworker, when someone wrongs you and they ask you forgiveness and you give it to them, you gift it without the way that Christ tells us to, we're going to talk about it a little bit. When we do that, we are opening ourselves up to being hurt again, right? And despite what we say, we do the best we can to what? Mitigate the risk. That's a fancy word. Right? Let's minimize the risk. It's like an insurance agent, right? What are those people called? They're like, no, I didn't hear what you said. They're the people that manage the risk and they make a ton of money, right? It starts with an A. Actuary, thank you. Jack, you were just repeating. I don't know what you were saying. <laughs> yeah, thank you for speaking up. Actuary, right? An actuary decides what the risk is and whether how much you have to pay and all that. And we kind of do that to people. How risky are you? And that's how well I'm going to, like, how close I'm going to bring you. And we justify things and we say, well, I've got to practice church discipline. I've got to make sure they're punished. Church discipline, really? You know what you're really saying? Bend over, I'm going to give you four smacks. If you stick around after, I'll let you stay. Now, despite what you think, this isn't one of those messages in which we're saying church discipline has no place. It does. It does. And there's extremes. But listen, we are afraid of forgiveness, so we mitigate the risk. We put up hedges. We put up walls. We put up fences. We put up warning signs. We make the person wear a scarlet letter. Oof. Right. And it's so funny. If a prostitute walks in here now and says, I heard about this church, and I want to come and hear about Jesus, most of you be like, amen, sister. Can I pray with you and lead you to the Lord? Amen. Three months later, she's still working that job. She accepts Christ. She's struggling. All of a sudden, the message changes. All of a sudden, someone in the church has an affair. Someone in the church has an addiction. And what happens then? Well, they knew Christ, so 
they should know better. Forgiveness goes out the window. Isn't that odd? We will use the prostitute story to talk about how awesome our church is. They're the ones we take and we film, right? Life change when they met the remnant. Before the remnant, I was a prostitute. Now I am a PTO member, right? And that's our victory sounds. That's our victory stories. But we're not allowed to do that after a certain amount of time of membership in the club. So what happens is, but here's the secret. The secret is, people are still sinning. They just hide it better. And they learn to play the game. And as long as, and I've learned this, it's such a funny thing. As long as you don't do these certain mortal sins, as we mock certain religions, we have them ourselves, we just don't call them that. These deadly sins. By the way, sin is serious. And I'm not saying it should be taken willy-nilly. We'll talk about that. But listen to me. You have that. And before you say, amen, the whole church does. What's yours? What's yours? Because you have one. Here's the problem with this mindset. God does not, you ready? There's not gray areas. Listen to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shock you. There are not gray areas in the realm of forgiveness and in the realm of church discipline. It's actually very, very black and white. But it's uncomfortable. Let me tell you what it says. This won't be up there, guys, so don't panic. New guy on the, on the screen. I told him I was going to haze him, so this is me hazing him by calling him the new guy on the media. Listen, at the very end of Matthew 18, Jesus tells a story We'll talk about it a little bit. Peter comes and goes, how many times should I forgive someone? Right, thinking he's a good guy. Seven, that's a lot of times. If I slap you and you forgive me once, will you let me slap you six more times? That's, that, parable, that answer takes a lot more because you ain't going to let me come up and give you a hug, Joe, when I slap you every time, right? I love you, forgive me, <laughs> right? So, but at the very end of that, he tells a parable after that to Peter and the, and the apostle disciples where he talks about this parable of the unforgiving servant. And he says, listen, there's a man who was forgiven a lot. Let's just say he was forgiven a million dollars that he was owed. He was going to be in prison. And he's forgiven. And the man walks out. And the first day of freedom, he finds his buddy. runs into his buddy who owes him $1,000. And he beats the guy up, slaps him, kicks him around, and says, take that guy to jail until he gives my money. The master hears about this in the parable. And he comes back and he says many things to him. You wicked man. But in verse 34 and 35, it won't be on the screen. Listen, he says, And his master got angry and handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. This is Jesus. To be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. How much did he owe? Let's just say it was a billion. What if I tortured you until you could pay me back a billion dollars? I'd torture you till the end of your life and beyond. So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Did you hear that? This is the nodding thing. Can I get an amen? Do you want me to be that guy? I got to have a nod. It's too much light in here today. I'm spitting. I'm excited. I'm, I'm halfway there, right? Did you hear that? My heavenly father will also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother. <laughs> I love it. Jesus, remember, no gray areas. I'll forgive him outwardly. No, from his heart. It's easy to act, not for me, but for some people. And here's a whole different matter. Well, Todd, I, that's ridiculous. Some of you are going already saying, I feel, you know, I forgive him, but I'm still mad, so, so he's going to torture me. Mm, no. See, we have, a, we have a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. 
It's a, it's a constant choice. It's a choice to say, I'm not going to hold against you, ready, what you have done. Not what you might have, what you have done. I told you earlier, now this is, I'm going I'm to flip the script on you. We don't like forgiveness. We don't like true forgiveness. We like things to be very black and white, but we like them to be comfortable. And here's what we've learned in thousands of years of human civilization. We understand rules and we understand laws because it takes away any of the guesswork, right? When someone does something wrong, we apply the business principle. You get a write-up, then you get a second write-up, then you have to go before someone, then you get a verbal warning, then you get a written warning, and then you're terminated. And we say, you know what? That kind of works. Let's just bring that to the church. Now, here's the thing. Stay with me. That's the one side. The other side says, some of you are on this side, la, 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 love is great. We can do whatever we want. It doesn't matter what we do. I don't know why I sang that, but that's what we do. And so there's no concept of church discipline. What do you mean discipline? We love and forgive. And that's what it is. That's not forgiveness. That's make-believe. That's pretending you didn't do something. So ready? Once again, I don't have to forgive you. If you didn't do anything, I don't have to forgive you. So we have this issue we're supposed to forgive. But we also have this issue where Christians sin. Did you know that? No? If you said no, get out because you're being sarcastic. Do Christians sin? Do Christians sin? I'll do it all day. Let's get it. You guys got a bad, I'll get a bad attitude too. Let's do it, right? I'll break stuff, see? Here we go. <laughs> Christian sin. So listen, we have these two things. On the one hand, you know, we love and we forgive and we have mercy and grace. But on the other hand, Christian sin, we can't just let that happen because then I'm just going to come up and slap you all I want because who cares? We have to handle. So what do we do? We tend to do nothing until it gets bad enough that we have to. Everybody, raise your hand in this room if you've heard the term of Matthew 18 in the context of church discipline. If not, great. You're a clean slate. If, if so, then you've probably heard it, but you never practiced it. I'd be willing to bet you. I'm going to talk about it in a second. John MacArthur, when he talks about, who knows John MacArthur? Raise your hand. He's been a pastor for, anyone have a guess? Nice. 52 to be exact, but 50 years of ministry. In 50 years of ministry, John MacArthur says that he's had, I believe, five churches he knows that practice Matthew 18. That means actually practice church discipline the way that Jesus says to do it. Five in 50 years of ministry. He tells these two conflicting stories. On the, he, he says, I told you just a second ago, I want to tell you, so now I've, I've, t- I've warned you about people don't want to forgive, and right, and they don't want to offer grace, but then there's this other side. And in the... In, a forward to a book called A Guide to Church Discipline by J. Carl Laney. Pastor MacArthur says this. He says that a leading pastor once told him, if you discipline, quote, I, quote, if you discipline church members, they'll never stand for it and you'll empty the place. You can't run around sticking your nose into everyone's sin. <laughs> I love it because everybody's in the room, that's crazy, Todd. No, you do it. You do it. You do that. If you're in the room and you think you're standing with Jesus, talking to the rest of the church, you're not listening right. We do this. You'll confront sin that you don't do, maybe. But there's areas you don't. 
We don't confront sin. Then he told, he, well, what does that lead to? He told a story of like two pastors. I already got an issue here. A man and a woman who cheated on their respective wives. That's okay. You think that, and then married each other. Divorced their spouses in the church, married each other, and the whole church attended the marriage. Right? That's the other extreme, which says it doesn't matter what you do. Love, acceptance, grace, mer- that's not grace. That's make-believe. Grace says you've done something wrong, right? You don't deserve the position that you have, but I will offer it to you. You are disqualified based on what you have done, but I will treat you like you haven't been. Grace isn't going high. You never did anything wrong when you clearly did. Grace isn't giving you a position and pretending you earned it. So today we're going to talk about something that Jesus, guys, I'm, it's black and white. But I, but I think, and I'm going to say the remnant. You know, I know there's people watching us <laughs> from home, uh, maybe from other places that will stumble across this. But I think this is a misunderstanding many, many places is people do not know how to do this. You don't know what it means. You don't understand it, so you don't practice it. And so you wait for the pastor to practice it when you are called to do it. Who's me? You. Well, hey, Listen. I'm not a pot calling the kettle black here. No, that's, that's, not, that's not what Jesus says. Well, I'll take the, you know, there is a beautiful verse. It actually kind of came up this week in a good context. Someone said, a friend of mine, but he's talking about, you know, I'm going to take the, the, the log out of my eye before I take the speck out of yours. That's true. But remember, he says, once you take the log out, I can point out the speck. Did you know that? We take it to mean I can't ever say anything. If that's the case, why am I preaching to you? I do everything I'm talking to you about. The reality is, is that, listen to me, Jesus did give the church, his church, you, the power and responsibility to discipline each other and to handle issues. He did. Hey, only God judges me. Wrong. God is the final judge. He is not the only. So there's these two extremes we live in, right? And I bet some of you, if you're really honest and you're not arrogant, you're confused by it. Me too. On the one hand, what am I supposed to forgive? What am I not? When do I do church discipline? When do I tell people? When do I tell the pastor? A lot of you say, hey, you know who will handle this? I'll skip anything I'm supposed to do. Go straight to the pastor. That's fine. I'm here for you. But I'm going to tell you to do, and if if some of you have done this, I'm going to ask you if you've went through these steps before you came to me. Well, what happens if this happens and this happens? It's black and white. We're going to talk about that today. So, if you have your Bibles, by the way, I have a challenge. Remind me of this. I should just do it now, because I will forget. Side note, keep this in mind. Seriousness, forgiveness, side note. I challenge you, those of you that will come back, meaning our members. The guests, I'll probably see you more than our members, because you guys got important things to do, like scratch your back or something. But when you come to church, I dare you, I challenge you to bring a physical Bible. To be off your phones and bring a physical Bible for the next 30 days. The next 30 days. And i got a way to, to reward you, right, and shame you if you don't. Just kidding. But you will get rewarded, right? Bring a physical Bible because, listen to me, I actually saw a story. I don't want to go into it. I'll talk about it another time. But it's revolutionary. These phones we have are great, but here's the thing. You ready, Sid? you got notifications that come up all the time. So right as I'm talking to you and you're reading the verse, ping, the gram hits you up. Instagram. I'm cool. The tickety-tock, Right? He comes in and tells you that your, your new buddy's telling you how to color his hair or whatever. Whatever it is that you watch or how to cook an egg. 
It distracts you. Don't you lie. Raise your hand if you ever had a notification distract you while you while during a message. Thank you for the honesty, the rest of you fibbers, right? Here's the thing. It's the truth. So when you're looking at your Bible, that's so great, but you get distracted. Bring your physical Bible. Deal? Raise your hand if you're in on this challenge with me. Raise your hand if you're just rebellious and don't care. No one. <laughs> David, get out. Anyway, if you're just nervous about raising your hand, that's fine. <clears throat> Here's the thing. So go ahead and turn, turn to chapter 18 of Matthew. Now, Todd, is this in chronological order? It doesn't matter. We know that Jesus has been going. I told you, new guy. What did I tell you? I'm going to haze you. Okay? I said turn to chapter 18, new guy. I did not say go to the verse. All right? I have to do this part that says explain context, new guy. I told him I was going to haze him. Sorry, that's it. After this week, new guy. Come on. Let's stop being new. He's nodding and crying. Anyway, listen, here's the context. Chapter Matthew 18, you guys turn to it. Interesting, interesting stuff. It starts with the disciples. I love this for many reasons. One is they trusted Jesus enough to be honest, even with the stupid questions. Because we have the, we have, we, I love how snotty we are. Me too. We go, man, those apostles, they are so dumb. Right? Come on, man. You don't act like, they just had the guts to say what you don't say when you're praying. Oh, hallowed Father. That's how you talk. And they just come up and go, hi, who's the greatest one among us? Who do you like the most? Right? Or some of you would go, and Jesus would be like, what's wrong? Nothing. Nothing. It's fine. James just said he was, that he was your favorite. And, you know, last week you, you said you loved me, so I just wonder who you might like the best. Right? That's, you would do the same thing. So they come up to him, and, and they ask him, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest among you? And Jesus kind of explains he, you know, he, the children are there too. And he says, let the children come to me. It's a strange thing. It's a strange section in a way because we tend to read, this is a really powerful section. There's a lot of different parables that we tend to um, sort of read separately and we don't remember that they're together. Does that make sense? Does it not? I'll, t- I'll stay here all day. You want to get out of here and eat? Then you better start interacting with me because the other days when I don't want you to, you're talking up a storm. Today, I know you got all your turkey in you or ham or whatever else it is. Let's wake it up here, okay? You've made me do this four times now, and I will not forgive you for it. See what I did? Anyway, so just pretend. Pretend you're here, all right? So they come to Jesus and say, who's the greatest? And then he called a child to them, right? I assure you, unless you're converted and become like children, beautiful thing, kingdom of heaven, all kingdom series. Anyway, but then he throws this part in about whoever causes one of these ones to stumble. He gives these really dangerous warnings, right? It'd be better if you put a giant rock around your neck and jumped in the ocean. There's so many sermons in this. What does he call you guys? Children, when you become his child, Abba, Father, how does he feel when people hurt you? When they cause you to fall? You are a child to him. He loves you that way. Anyway. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, after he tells this, he tells the parable of the lost sheep. We have songs about it. It's beautiful. And he says, hey, this one. He talks about what if, if someone has... All right, new guy, go ahead. Matthew 18, 11 through 13. For the Son of Man has come to save the lost. Go on. <laughs> what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep 
and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go and search for the stray? And if he finds it, I assure you, he rejoices over that sheep more than the, over the 99 that did not go astray. Who loves that? Who's, who's beautiful? Who thinks they're the one sheep, right? Raise your hand. You know you are. Have you ever felt like the one sheep? Yeah, you have. And it's beautiful. Let me ask you a question. What if you're with the 99? Do you rejoice that the shepherd, the master, goes after the one, or are you bitter? Well, I did the right things. This is a powerful verse. So he says that, and I'm telling you this because I want you to think of it all together. He says, listen, he rejoices over the sheep that's lost more than the 99 that did not go, to, uh, go astray. Then jump down to verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me? I told you this was coming. And I forgive him as many as seven times. And I guarantee you Peter's like, Lord, James would only forgive them four. Remember the context at the beginning. He's like, who's the greatest? And so Peter walks up and says, Lord, shall I forgive them seven? Right? Jesus says in 22, I tell you, not as many as seven. Peter's like, oh, <laughs> so I went above and beyond. Jesus said to him, but 70 times 7. No. <laughs> new guy, I'm going to get you all day long. He came in too confident, Tim. I told you, new guys, huh? Anyway, I tell you, not as many. We love you, buddy. I tell you, not as many as 7, Jesus said to him, but 70 times 7. Well, I'll remind you. Are you willing to forgive 7 times? Now, here's the crazy thing. You're going to love this, Tim. You're probably the only person listening today. It's one of those days. But you're going to love this. In order for someone to be forgiven 70 times, how many times were they welcomed back home? 69, right? Did you get that? You with me, Bree? You with me? She's saying yeah, but she's kind of asleep too. That's okay. Me too, Bree. I'm just teasing her. Right? Listen, everybody's like, Todd, I don't like when you call my name. Then you better wake up, all right? Because I'm, I'm in that place today. All right, listen, if you're new, I promise I won't point to you or talk to you. Only when it's your home will I embarrass you. Anyway, I'm just kidding. So, right, how many times could my brother sin? No, listen to that. Listen to the radical part of that. Again, you think you're forgiving until you compare yourself to Jesus. 69 times. That's just 70. Now 70 times 7. Anybody do the math real fast? 490. Thank you. That's good. Somebody pulled their calculator. I'm just kidding. 490. I'm just kidding. 490. I would have needed to. Or like most of my toes. 490. 450 or 490? I already lost. 490. So how many times in this example? 489. 489 times, Jill, I get to slap you. Will you let me do that? No, you won't. Thank you for being real. You ain't going to let. She's going to let me slap her twice probably. Maybe twice. Three is not happening. Right? I think I can get you twice. Anyway. <laughs> First time's an accident, right? The second time I was just sad or something. The third, third time it's a habit. Yeah, yeah. Listen, let that sink in. How many churches today would deal with a member who sins 489 times? Oh, we should already be doing it. Because there's 365 days in a year. And according to Christ, you sin when you have a thought. When you have a lustful thought or a hateful thought. Now, I'm not making light of the bigger things. We'll get to that. But I need you to accept that. Do you accept that? 
Let's see how honest we are. How many in here would struggle with the idea of forgiving someone 489 times? 490. Thank you. Man, you are honest today even if you're grumpy. Yes. It's like one or the other. I'll take honesty. Me too. Because I'm a guy, I'll be honest, I struggle to trust. So if someone breaks it the first time, I'm like, oof. (laughs) Right? That's real. 70 times 7. Okay. Now remember, I'm telling you this whole chapter. Now I want what I'm focusing on today. I'm just giving you an overview. Because each one of these could be a sermon. In fact, many times they are. But when you look at the entire context of the chapter, it becomes very, very, very powerful. Now we go to verse 15 through 20. This is such a strange chapter. So it's after new guy, new guy. All right. I love you, buddy. Hey, you know what's happening? Remember I told the guys to haze you? That is Zeke. He knows. He's just letting you do that over and over again. He's like, I'm going to throw him under the bus. That's the last time. Thank you so much, brother. No one's ever going to serve again. I'm sorry. I love you. Listen, I know him very well. He's one of our interns, so this is good for him. Louisiana hot sauce. Uh, Listen. That's his nickname Uh, because he's from Louisiana. Anyway. And he's hot. I'm just kidding. Restoring a brother, right? Verses 15 through 20. Right? A lot of times in your Bible, that's the heading. You'll say restoring a brother. So we have this section in between after, hey, the parable of the lost sheep, 99 go away. And everybody's like, okay, that's cool. I'm, when I'm the one, that's awesome. But then he describes what happens when the one comes back. How do we get the one to come back? And then right after that, he gives us this warning about the unforgiving slave, we get Peter's question, 70 times 7, and then we're told what happens if you aren't willing to forgive. Now, black and white. Remember I told you earlier, we're told, uh, Jesus, chapter 16 of Matthew, in fact, we're told, he talks to Peter, and he says, I'm giving you the keys, right, to the kingdom. And yes, that is in reality as far as setting the church up. We know Peter had a big part in that, but it's, to us, the church, okay, who gets to stay in and who gets to be in that. I'm having to let you, I'm letting you guys, I'm teaching you how to decide who is a real wolf and who is not. Not a sheep who acts like a wolf, but a wolf who acts like a sheep. Keep that in mind. That's different. You're not to kick out sheeps that act like wolves. That's, that, <laughs> take something today, take that. You're looking for wolves that act like sheep, not sheep that act like wolves. Because sheep sometimes act like wolves. Right? Here's what he says, verse 15. So right after all of this, he says, if your brother, and also, I'm sorry, it's just so important. Remember I told you he said, hey, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, you might as well throw a stone around your neck. Then he tells us this part about restoring a brother. What's causing someone to stumble? There's apparently a connection between how they're treated when they sin. Stay, go read it. Read it yourself. Some of you are like, I don't know, Todd, the context. Jesus knows what he's talking about. Go read it, chapter 18. But starting at verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. <laughs> I'll just read the whole thing. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two more with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. Is this a parable? Is this a parable? No, this is command. This is, this is how you do this. This is instruction, okay? So he says, go to them in private. Tell them, hey, I know what you're doing. You need to stop it. If they repent, it's over. You've won your brother. Does it say then go tell everybody? Oh, what happens usually? Hi, everyone. I'll use Todd. Brother Todd, I went to him about his sin of drinking. 
and he has repented. It doesn't say that, does it? But, you, but Luke, we got to warn everybody that he's a drinker. Because what if he drinks again? No, 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 no. Already, guys, that's a radical thing. But what if it's bigger than that? Pornography. What if it's an affair? Well, I need to make sure he goes and tells his, or she tells his spouse. Is that what it says? That's where it gets interesting. Now, stay with me. Todd, are you saying not to tell them? I didn't say that. The Holy Spirit, right? And there's other instructions that we're told. That's the other thing you got to remember, guys. The Bible is read as a whole. We filter it through the all of truth, right? So all the parts, right, where we speak truth, we do not deceive each other, we do not lie. All those things happen. The way spouses are to treat each other, they are called to that. My job, though, is to do what? Well, i got to make sure he really repented. Does it say that? Todd, but what happens in our church when someone goes all the way? See, you're, you're, you're reading into it. Very, very, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. Rebuke, by the way, is a strong word. It's not like, hey, Todd, I know every now and then you have a drink when you're stressed. Maybe you shouldn't do it. No, hey, quit it. Quit being an alcoholic and a drunk and stumbling around town. By the way, having to drink alcohol is not a sin. I'm sorry. Unless your conscience tells you it is. Then you are to be obedient to that. Scripture says it. But drunkenness is. Where's the line? That's the problem. That's the problem. But that's how stern it should be. A rebuke is a very stern talking to. Well, why is that, Todd? So then anytime we see each other making a mistake, no. Clearly context here is what? If your brother sins against who? But aren't you the sin police? Well, who's going to watch over everyone? Oh, the shepherds, the pastors. They might have to go to other people, right? You worry about when people sin against you. Now, is it a sin against you if you know your brother's doing something stupid and it's messing with you? Probably. I get that. But we don't go around looking for it. Mm, right? With our gun aimed. If he listens to you, when your brother. But if he won't listen, now... Is this a suggestion? No. We told you. This is a command. He says, if he won't listen, he doesn't say if you feel like it, take one or two more with you, so by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. You ready for this? So now I'm going to go. Todd says no. All right? It's Tangie. I'm going to keep you focused by using you. Tangie says Todd's not doing something. So, right? I say I'm not going to quit getting drunk in town. I don't have a problem. Tangie then decides to go get a couple of people, right? Maybe it's Isaiah and it's Trent. You could get three. Todd's a scary guy. All right, I'm going to grab David. Now we're going to go talk to him again and say, do all three line up and point their fingers together and say, you are a drunkard? No, but we think that, don't we? Like, even in this church, I've noticed what we tend to think is at this second step, we get our posse together, right? That's what we do when we have posses. We walk like this. We throw each other down and we start kicking each other. We're like, you're going to straighten up. That's not what it's like. It's not a lynch mob. All right? What is, what is the purpose of the two or three? It is to make sure that every fact may be established. What fact? They were called out. Here's the facts. Tangi said, Todd, I have seen you multiple times at this time here. They also are able to establish that I say, I don't have a problem. I'm not going to quit. That's their job. They might ask some questions. Their job is to say that, it, that someone isn't what? Falsely accusing someone? Oh, that's the purpose. To establish the facts. Already, round two, I already told you, or second step, people mess up here by either bringing the lynch mob, right? That's the main thing we do. We're getting the lynch mob together. 
String them up. No, that's not what it's about. All right, what happens if that? If he pays no attention to them, because what happens if two or three people come? It gets more serious. Most people will respond to that. They're going to go, okay, Tangie, I didn't know you were that concerned. You know, uh, Isaiah says, yeah, Todd, you know, I have noticed you act a little weird on those days, and when you drink, you don't know where the line is. And I'm like, oh, man, that's a good point. I guess I should take that more seriously. What do you think I should do? Maybe you shouldn't drink. Maybe we should get help. You see what I mean? They can ask questions. They don't have to sit there silently. That's weird, too. I'm establishing every fact. That's not, that's not what it's about. Okay? So he says, if they still don't change, that, no, get out of here. By the way, Todd, people don't really do that. Yes, they do. I've seen it. There are people that will even within the three or four people go, no, I'm not going to change a thing. If he pays no attention to them, because remember, if the facts are there, one thing or the other is going to happen. Either the other three, Isaiah, Trent, Dave, are going to go, hey, Tangie, I don't think this is a real issue. I think you're jumping to conclusion here. We need to calm down. Or they're going to go, this is true. You need to change. If he pays no attention to them, what happens? Tell the church. Oof. This is uncomfortable. Did you hear me say this? Tell the church. Does that mean I come up and tie them up and hit them with tomatoes or something? No. You know, at our church, what that would look like, you know, it depends on the situation. Sometimes the person won't come and meet in front of the entire church. They'll meet in front of the elders, though. That has to be what the church is. Right? At that point. It has to be. Because they refuse anything else. But maybe it's at a member meeting and Tangi and Isaiah and them stand up and they say, listen. Because at that point, those kinds of people are usually pretty prideful. They're pretty prideful. Get your fantasy football update. They're pretty prideful. Right? Just, <laughs> just teasing you. You're pretty prideful. And so what will happen is they're fine with it. They're going to show up. Because they've done nothing wrong. Now the entire church is like, listen, the witnesses stand up like, I was there, Todd refused to. Because what if I say, I didn't say that. I didn't say I wouldn't do it. I didn't say I wouldn't stop. That happens. Well, now the three go, yes, you did. Now there's something that has to happen. Okay? But if he doesn't pay attention, well, first, before we get to that, at any one of these steps, if he says, you're right, I'm sorry, I repent, do you continue? If you take the two or three and they repent, do you tell the whole church? Should the two or three go around and gossip and tell them all about it? No. Does that happen? Yes. <laughs> you know why that is? Because you're not obedient individually. It's not your business to know everybody's business. Okay, so the, here's the beauty. If, it's, if it works at step one, it works at step two. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Awesome! That's a rejoicing moment. Now we walk alongside them and help them, right? How do, what, what do you mean, Todd? Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. What does it look like to walk it out? Jesus did. He walked with Peter, didn't he? How many times did Peter fail him? When Peter repented, Jesus was right there, restoring him, walking with him, teaching him. Okay, but let's say he doesn't. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, guys, and this is, this is very strikes home for our, for our church, I'll be real with you. But even if he doesn't, but if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax and a tax collector to you. That's important. Not or and. Let him be treated like an unbeliever 
and a tax collector to you. You ready for this? You ready, church, to hear your responsibility that you've been given in your individual church? I assure you, whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. What an interesting verse. Again, I assure you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done by your Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Oh, that's that famous verse. Context is interesting, though, isn't it? You probably didn't think that was the context where that verse is. Right after he says what to do, and he says, treat him like an unbeliever and tax collector, he says, whatever you bound on earth is bound in he- already bound in heaven. What loosed on earth is already loosed in heaven. He's not just talking to Peter. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the crowd. He's telling them. Well, why would that be? Because we are the body of Christ. And if they have gone through this, they are not one of us. There's one of two things. They're either what? We know the parable what? What about the son? What's that famous story called? The prodigal son. Either they are a prodigal and someday they will come home, but they must go out and live and have to eat out of the pig trough before they come home, or they were never a believer to begin with. And if they weren't, they can't be in fellowship with us. Do you understand? That's different than someone who's not a believer who comes to our church. They are not proclaiming, I am with Christ. And that's why some of you don't join a church. You're, you don't want to be held accountable that someone has to, because when you're a member of a church or you go to a church, the church is putting their name behind you. Do you know that? This is a believer. I know them. And you're afraid you don't step. A lot of times it's because you're afraid of messing up and people are going to boot you anyway. It shouldn't happen that way. Because as long as you repent, turn away from it, that's the journey here. But he's saying, church, listen, it's bound or it's not. You're going to be able to determine it. Yes, he will determine it at the end. But again, remember, we already have the facts established, don't we? These aren't false accusations. How do we know that? How do we know that? The facts have been established. Jesus told us how to do it. What do you think happens? Do you think when the person goes before the church, you all just stand there and go, mm-hmm. no, you don't do that. That's a weird, creepy chant. So I was going for. No, you are there to what? Ask questions, figure out what's going on, and decide. And if that person doesn't repent, what are they doing? Would a true believer take seriously if his entire church is saying, you need to change? Would they? God, no. I repented to God. I had someone tell us that, didn't we? I repented to God. Bro, this is... <laughs> He was a bro. Hey, he tells you, you don't, it's not just God. You got to repent to this church. You let it get to this far. Now you got to say something to them. You got to show them. They don't want that. Why? Because they're showing their heart. Unbeliever and a tax collector. This is another part that we get, we've gotten a lot of flack for, haven't we? This is why only five churches do it. Remember that verse I told you about? You can't go rubbing your, a pastor said that. The problem is not only does the person who gets called out get mad, you get mad. You know why a lot of times you get mad? Because you're afraid it's going to happen to you. Well, guess what? It won't happen to you if you just repent. Well, does that mean if you, know, you, come, and con- uh, ready? If you come and confess to someone, should it go anywhere? Should it go anywhere? If I go and confess to Tim, should Tim go, well, I'm different. I'm in the position I'm in. But still, I shouldn't have to. Actually, no. They're not outside of that. Should he have to go tell everybody? Well, Todd, Todd got drunk. No, he shouldn't. You've got to start understanding it's black or white. Already, some of you are mad both ways. You're mad that I'm telling you to call things out, and you're mad that I'm telling you, what do you mean, Todd? we got to tell people and warn people about false prophets. 
what does sin, whether a person stumbles in sin, have anything to do with whether they're a false prophet? A false prophet does what? Teaches false doctrine. Yes, they teach false scripture. They teach a false gospel. Elders can't sin. You are ridiculous. Pastors don't sin? Are you crazy? If a pastor tells you that, leave the church. I'm going to tell you that right now. If your pastor has never admitted he has sinned, go find a new church. I'm telling you right now, a bunch of pastors mad. They don't have to necessarily tell you the specifics at the time, but if they're sitting up there going, man, this don't, <laughs> it don't apply to me. I'm the high priest. No. No, you're not. You're the thumb. You're the mouth. Ooh, that was cool, right? They're part of the body that's been given a specific task. So, that's black or white. Now, I can tell you from experience, we've had to deal with this, right? Now, I've dealt with it that where it's, it's I've dealt with it every step of the way. I've helped counsel people that went and did it, find out, hey, the person repented, awesome. Praise God. I don't look at that person any differently. Neither should you. If you're the one that goes to them. I've had it go to two or three. Okay, I'll change. Right? Beautiful thing. Beautiful testimony. God will use that in your life. I've had it go, I have never had it go to the church where the person repented then. When it got to that point, they were too hard-hearted. Now, I'm not saying clearly that can happen, but it didn't happen in this case. What they did was they walked out and they burned this place that tried to. You can't burn God's church. Tried to on the way out. Even though all of the facts had been established by one person, two or three witnesses, and by the end, by the entire church. Right, church? You know what we're talking about. Now, even though you may not have liked every step because you didn't know this, now do you understand? Well, let me tell you even further. But Todd, you know, does that mean we can't hang out with him? I don't know. I have never told you. But you need to understand this. Jesus said an unbeliever and a tax collector. No, they can't keep coming to church here. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. He says, cast them out. That person's not changing. They're living in it. They can't be with you. Okay, they're not in the church anymore, but we can still hang out. Can you? What's a tax collector? An outcast, a pariah. Well, Todd, we've got a witness to them, sure. If they want to talk about Jesus, I'm here. But they have to feel the weight of it. They are not one of us. And Jesus says they're worse than someone who just doesn't believe. They are a tax collector, which remember, to the Jewish people, a tax collector was a traitor. Someone who said, I am a Jew, I'm like you, but I'm working for the enemy. Those people weren't, they didn't come to temple, they didn't do any of those things. They were enemies. Now, Ready? Love your enemies. Yes, we will love them. But they can't be. And they're going to guilt you with this idea of false love and grace and mercy. That's not grace. That's make-believe. Because don't ever let them make you forget the steps they had. That even now, what happens from the parable right, of the prodigal son? If they were to come home and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Welcome home. Come home. You can always come home. That's the beauty of the gospel. If you are that person that goes so far out that you're eating out of a pig trough, high on drugs, and you decide to come home to church, you can always go home. And the Father will run to meet you, and so will we. That's the way it should be. There's too many people that don't want to do this because of exactly what that pastor said. Hey, that's getting into other people's business. That's doing this. You're wrong. This is what I tell people. You don't love them enough. 
If you see somebody that is an alcoholic, pick your sin. I, I don't want to pick on alcohol today. Okay, drugs. I don't know the thing that you'll all accept without being mad at me, at least outwardly. Cocaine, heroin, something that's going to kill them. You're just going to say, yeah, go ahead, honey. Maybe your kid. Here, here's another one. No, you won't because it could kill them. What kind of love is it to let them live in that? Remember, sin leads to what? Death. No, it's not always physical death, but Christians in the room, when you're in sin, stuck in it, practicing it, is there death of something? Your self-esteem, your joy, your peace, there's, there's death, isn't there? Because you're like a fish on land. You're not made for it anymore. It's not wrong to tell people and to try to lovingly call them out of that. That's what Christ does to us. Let's flip it around. A person doesn't know Jesus, and Jesus comes and goes, Hey, would you like to continue exactly the way you are and die? But I'll call you son. And when you die, I'm going to send you to hell because you're guilty. But, hey, I love you. Does that sound right? No, that's not love. Christ does come to us in the midst of our sin and our brokenness and our, our ugliness and our evil. And he says, I love you and I'll save you, but we have to respond, don't we? We have to say, I want that. I don't want this way of life. Does that mean we're going to overcome it tomorrow? No, but we don't want it anymore. I turn away from it. Repent means turn the other way. Does that mean that sometimes I don't wander back? No. But you have to acknowledge that it's the wrong way. You ready? I am the way and the truth and the life. There is only one way to truth and life, and it's my way, not sin's way. The two extremes are, I think I told you, is to pretend there is no sin and to ignore it, it will destroy a church eventually. Or, it's even worse, is you'll succeed and have a Full, full, full pews of dead people. I cannot tell you the temptation I have. I admit this to you, brothers and sisters. Lately it's been worse, you know, where I've had the temptation to make sure I tell you only positive things. How many, and some of you even thinking, why does Todd always make me feel bad? Sorry, I don't know why I always make you sound like a nerd, right? But the truth is, I, I, that's, I, I'm serious, right? If I come in here and I talk about, hey, you're going to get good money and God's going to bless you when you give and, hey, give to the church and then God's going to give to you. But that's two birds with one stone. We get more money to like, reach people. I can justify that easy. And then you get blessed. We're all happy. That's not true, though. Sometimes we don't get it back. Sometimes we trust God that even without it, right, that we're taken care of. There's so many things. This is where I get in trouble, I want to say. But when I do, people think I'm speaking, speaking directly to them. So I don't want to. And then I'm torn. This is one of those moments. I shouldn't process with you out loud. Because then you're going to think I'm talking about you. But yet, Lord, is this what I'm supposed to say? Isn't it funny that the messages where the most people walk out the most amount of times are messages like this? I'm not kidding you. You guys ain't walking out when I'm talking about how to find a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a wife, a spouse. But boy, you walk out 17 times when I'm talking about sin and confronting it. You know why? Because you're scared. What if they do that to me? Do you know how you can avoid all this? Confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. 
You know why you don't confess your sins to one another? Because even when you confess, they take you to Matthew 18 and take you before the church and embarrass you and cast you out, tell you you can't serve anymore, tell you you can't be on ministry teams, tell you you can't pastor, tell you you can't do this. Why? Because somebody out there told them that some business model from 1945 is the way you run the church. That's not reality. See, I got an amen. I'm a baby. You all feel terrible. The two extremes are to pretend it's not there, or the other extreme is what I started with, is to say, God's done with you, disgust me, get out. And we create a culture of fake Christians. It's what I call the great masquerade. If you're a member of this church, you will learn that phrase and know what it means, because we use it all the time. It's the great masquerade ball. You pull up to this church, we're going to have a video of this someday, right, AJ? We put our mask on. Underneath, it's all the real stuff, but on, on this white, porcelain, faceless mask, you just put on happy, and you walk in, and, and we can all see the little, the little marks, the little sin, the little blemishes, but as long as I don't call you out about yours, you won't call me out about mine, and we'll all pretend we're all happy in this sick, macabre dance. All the while, when we go home, we take it off, and the tears still run down our face. It's because you have become afraid, because the church is that the judge, the jury, and the executioner. That's not true. The Father doesn't delight in that. He doesn't want, look how far it has to go when we do it right. Have you, I mean, have you thought about that? I want to shock you, but every time I do, it's like, man, if someone, I'll, I'll tell you right now, if someone, this, if someone commits adultery, that's, a, that's the bad one. That's one that everybody, most people, go, oh, you know, that's the one that you, you beat yourself up for if you've done it, and it's the one you can't run from. It's all this. God forgave that, forgives that. Here's the crazy thing. The church should forgive that too. Well, Todd, then everybody's going to run and sleep with each other. I guess the Holy Spirit isn't real. See, some of you don't like that. That's why I use it all the time. That's exactly why I use it. it. What is your thing? Now, that's not to, to, if you walk around and do that and demand forgiveness, have you repented? No. A truly repentant person doesn't actually focus on the result they get. They're focused on making it right to the person they've wronged. So, you guys with me? Is this making sense to you? I'm going to give you a list. Nice, Chase. Thank you. She gave me a good, a good nod. You got your first call out. All right. Right here, I told you when you're members. I gave Jenny last week, right? When she, she did it herself when I was like, hey, do this. She's like, I ain't doing anything. With her face, yeah, she's right there. All right, restoring a brother. How do we do that? What does it really look like? I'm going to simplify this for you, okay? Note takers, here we go. Number one. You need to remember the goal. How do we do this? You remember the goal. The goal is not punishment. The goal is not even discipline. Discipline can be redirection, right? We talked about it. Sometimes we, we've been talking about it in men's groups. Sometimes you pick a kid up when he's putting his finger in the light cycle. You don't just go, right, the toddler. No, that, you don't jump to that. Actually, you should never do that. But you pick the toddler up, right, how many times, and you sit him over here and you go, no. But we're so scared that we're going to get kicked. Remember the goal. The goal is not punishment. It's not shaming someone. The goal is restoration. Remember what it says. You have won your brother. Some versions say rejoice because you have won your brother. Does that make sense? Does that make, in your mind, if you remember that, does it help you? Hey, I'm not going to them to embarrass them, to shame them. I'm going to them because I love them and I want to restore them. Right? Two. Let go of being the executioner. This is the other side. Quit walking around with your Matthew 18 gun. 
looking for somebody, some duck to shoot, okay, or sheep. I got to look out for wolves. You shot 15 sheep. You ain't going to have a herd left by the end. All the things going to be left is the wolf because the wolf's the one beside you going, yeah, shoot him. Woo. That was good. Nothing, Krista. That was truth. That was truth, right? The wolves are the ones wanting you to shoot, shoot sheep. But what if they have a title called pastor? Oof. In the end times, they will find teachers for their itching ears. You think itching ears are just the ones that say there is no sin? Nah, man. Because as long as you're busy with the pastor shooting, shooting sheep, no one ever shoots you. No one ever calls you out. That's why pastors don't like me. Let go of being the executioner. That's not your job. God will be the final judge. It says that. He says, I will separate, right, the sheep and the goats. Because, by the way, there's people that will respond to this and in their hearts have never truly done it. That's a scary thing. There's so many ways that God gives us to try to catch that person and get them to turn back. And there will still be people that at the end say, look at everything I did for you. And he goes, I never knew you. Number three, okay, you're getting yourself ready. Pray. My goodness, pray for the heart of the person you're talking to and pray that God gives you the right words to say. We need God and the Holy Spirit to speak truth and love. You can't do it on your own. You either speak love or you speak truth. You don't know how to do it, truth and love. I don't. I need him. That's why he tells us if we loved easily or well, he wouldn't remind us 70,000 times, would he? I say this all the time. Does God say take a breath every millisecond? No, you do that naturally. He tells us to do the things we don't do naturally and tells us not to do the things we do sometimes. Got it? Yeah, me too. Took me a minute. Pray about it, guys. So much in our culture, and, I, and I'm worried about that in this church. I think you've forgotten prayer. You can do nothing without him. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, I believe 15, don't quote me on that, somewhere between 14 and 16, I believe it's 15, he talks about abiding in him. Abiding means resting in him. He compares a healthy grape to a vine, right? You want to be healthy, you have to be connected. How are you connected to the Father if you never talk to him? If you never ask him? If you never speak and ask for his direction? The Holy Spirit is the counselor inside of us. Lord, help me to follow your ways in this moment. Number four, this is a fact. Directly confront the issue. I put truth in love. Directly, directly confront the issue. Hey, Todd, so... Have you ever, uh, ever enjoyed a drink? Yeah, man, I love energy drinks. You ever, you ever had a drink at midnight? Yeah, sometimes I drink energy drinks at night. Have you ever drank one in front of a bar? Yeah. Have you ever been drunk? What? Been drunk? No, you see what I'm saying? By that point, I'm gone. I'm like, you're being weird. Directly confront the issue. Directly confront it. Now, I put truth in love because some of you, the only, I love it, man. It's some, you know the, the harshest people are the most gentle because they don't like to conflict. So to get wired up, they got to be like, huh, slapping themselves, snorting stuff. <laughs> so I meant smelling salts. That's what I was thinking, lifting. I'm serious. Just, <laughs> before I go calm out of sin, let me snort something. Anyway. You smelling salts, you go to, they got to get themselves worked up, and then they go and yell, right? You hellion, you will repent. That's not it. Truth and love. Directly, lovingly, but truth. Number five, that doesn't work, go grab, 
Go gather the crew. Not the lynch mob. I put the crew. All right? Get your boys or your girls. Yes, it can be a pastor. There's no reason it couldn't be. You know, sometimes, like, I don't, I don't have an issue with that. It doesn't have to be the pastor. Um, in fact, you know, I think if it had to be, he would tell us that. Grab some people that, listen, ideally it's someone that knows both of you. That's real talk, right? You don't want to grab three other strangers because someone's uncomfortable with that. It should be someone that's a relationship. By the way, if you're in church, you know at least two or three people that should know you somewhat, right? They take you. Or they take you. No, they don't take you. What is wrong with me? Take those people with you. Two or three. That's very specific. Does it say take one? I'm going to take my best friend. You already didn't obey. Two or three. All right? Is that seriously clear? Do you get that? Good. Number six, be prepared to tell the church. They may not listen. What I like to do, and this is tangible advice. So, Todd, what do I do? Do I wait? You could. You can wait till a member meeting. You can wait till the time you're meeting there, and you could tell them. I don't know how your church works it, but a lot of times, I think, and I think this is okay, you tell your leaders, your pastor, your elders, and then they handle it from there, and it should go before them. If it stops there and nothing happens, they did something wrong, and you should go ask them about it. It's okay to come to the pastor and say, I've tried to do this, nothing happens. That's, that's, you don't necessarily have to be the one that takes it before everyone, but I certainly think you could. Right? We have a member meeting today. If someone has gone through all this and you haven't got a chance to, and you need to deal with it, do it. Todd, that's weird. Nobody does that. Member meetings are business meetings. Wrong. They're family meetings. You just talk about some business in them. You know, business meetings don't talk about family, do they? But do family meetings talk about business? Yeah, they do. What's bills? How much we got? What's going on? You have to be prepared to do that. I know that's scary. Number seven, understand what letting them, quote, be like an unbeliever or tax collector means. I get this all the time. I had the guy. We had, I'm just going to be real. Okay? He goes around. By the way, the guy that we went through this in the last 12 months that went to this, he proved it. After he left, he went and found and talked to all, many of you, even though we went before him, tried to get you, start fires with you, went out and found friends, fringe friends of this church, other pastors that we've interacted with, and tried to get them to talk trash. He went to an old pastor and asked him what to do. It was kind of cool the old pastor backed us up. <laughs> he didn't like that. So he went and found another one. And they only tell half truths. So you know why he did that? Because people in this church, and this is a fact, and I'm proud of it, they took that seriously. They followed the Bible when it said, listen, unbeliever tax collector. He kept going, well, is that really how you treat an unbeliever, Todd? Aren't you supposed to tell him about Jesus? Think about what he just told me. This guy said, he told me this, didn't he? He told us this. He said, hey, you're supposed to love me and tell me about Jesus. I thought you were a believer. Tax collector, he's a traitor. To the, to, he's, he is a wolf until he proves otherwise. No, we don't go out and shoot him, but we say, hey, are you going to let a known, hey, if a guy comes up, okay, and he's a known serial killer, you see it on TV, and he's like, hi, I'm going to see Jenny today. Jenny, I'd like to come in and spend some time with your children. Yeah, she's going to say no, but, I, but I'm not a serial killer. You have a head in your hand, right? <laughs> like, there's proof. That proof is everything that happened before that, guys, and that's harsh, and it is a warning for us. Number seven, understand, I already got that. Number eight, or eight, sorry. 
You have to know what that means. Look it up yourself if you don't believe me. Study it. Unbeliever, tax collector. But remember, it's actually unbeliever and tax collector. He tried to trick us because he didn't want to talk about the tax collector part, did he? He's like, I'm an unbeliever, okay. Let me back in your fold. Bro, you're a wolf. You're literally saying, I'm a wolf. I want to eat your sheep. Let me in. No. (laughs) Number eight, pray. We're praying again if it got to that point. Why? Because we're praying for our brother. We hope they come to know Christ. Right? Because there's one of two options. They are prodigal and the spirit has been quenched in them and it needs to be restarted. Lord, we want to, because it's for their good, or they never knew Jesus. Either way, we need God's help at that point. It's outside of us. It's gone. Now we have to trust God. Someone, and it's cool. The guys were like, hey, Todd, you meant to put pray twice? Absolutely, I did. Before and you pray after. You pray at all times on all occasions, right? Number nine, after you pray, you have to let go of the results. You're going to hurt. You're going to feel sad, but you have to let go. You can't save them at that point. It's going to take a movement of the spirit. And 10, very, very important. If at any point they repent, rejoice and welcome them home. Well, Todd, doesn't repent just mean say sorry? Not necessarily. So in this case of this guy, I'll be very specific in case any of you ever wondered. He went out and he said so many terrible things to many of you. He lied. Luckily, we keep track of all that. He told lies about the leadership. He told lies about people. He went and found other pastors. He trashed us. And by the way, I already forgave him once. He tricked me, right? This church knows this. Just so you guys know, he got to step three right before, and he said he repented. So he was already out once. He said, I'm sorry. I did a video with him, stood beside him so, and said, I'm with him, guys, let's treat him the way he should be treated, right? He is our brother, and then he did it again. So you think, like, I'm just going to be like, yeah, come on, man. No, he's going to have to come before the members of this church that he hurt and say, guys, I was wrong. He doesn't want to do that. That tells you, right? Well, Todd, I thought you said, we are rejoicing. Come on home. You want to talk to the family. Tell them where you've been, right? Does that make sense? No? Give me not, even this is good. Yeah, you don't just say, like, repentance, how do we know he turned around? We're talking after they get to the point they've been treated as a tax, a tax collector and unbeliever. We have to see, uh, should, if he's really repentant, should he be willing to stand before this church, his members, and say, hey, guys, I'm sorry, I, I lied, I got caught up in my stuff, it was wrong, I love you guys, I'm sorry, right? Yes or no, should he be willing to do that? Yes, he should. Don't you dare start saying the church is bad because he gives you a sob story. He could be anybody. We shouldn't assume that. Now, yes, I've heard stories if someone messes up. I've literally heard this story. They bring them before that, like, makes them stand on the stage in front of all of y'all. All you want members of this church. I don't, like, I'm glad you're here. I don't know you. I'm not going to make this person and shame them in front of you and skip four different steps. That's ridiculous. The church is made up of what? The believers, the body, the temple. That's our business, right? Everybody's open to come worship, but when it comes to family business, it's only family, right? And before you say that's weird or cultish, I hear that all the time. Really? How many times have you heard Apple or IBM tell you everything that goes on in their company? Are they a cult? How many times does your boss come out and tell you, uh, here's how much is in the account, here's what we're doing, here's what Tom did? How, many, how often does that happen? It doesn't happen, so quit putting expectations on the church that you know aren't real just because you're, you're a nosy. You're a nosy Nelly, right? You want to know? Be a part of the family. Todd, that's cult talk. No, that's Bible talk. 
Okay, guys, I mean, it's there. So at any point, I got lost, but if he were to do that, if at any point, any step along the way, we rejoice that they're back. We're excited that our brothers come home, right? We run out and meet them. And that's what we told this guy. He knows to this day, we have reiterated, we are willing to meet with you anytime. Anytime. If that's what you want, right? Anybody that knows that knows that. And I only use that. There's been other times, too. People have left before that. I chose to. No, you didn't. You just left because you didn't want to stop doing what you're doing. Now, does that mean we run around and hunt each other? No, guys, I, want to, I know this is a long one today, but it's very, very important. There's been a lot of confusion. You have to understand that doesn't mean we're walking around. This is so important because I think it's happened here. And we're looking for people to Matthew 18 like it's a verb. I've been hearing that around this church. I'm going to Matthew 18 them. What is that? That's so weird. That is so weird. If you have said that, that is weird. I'm sorry. I love you. It's a weird thing to say. It is not a club. It is not a gun. It's not a knife. Is this a Matthew 18 situation? Bro, you had an argument with your wife. No, it's not a Matthew 18 situation. Now, if your wife refuses to talk to you for three weeks, okay, yeah, you might have an issue, but, but you don't jump to the step where you tell the whole church, my wife won't talk to me. That's so weird. Go to your pastor. He can be your one. Counseling, right? That's one. You're still in the steps. But I will say it the other way. Hey, spouses, you weirdies, you think you're outside of Matthew 18? That's why your spouse does whatever they want, because you won't let them be held accountable to the church. Well, that's not what we do. We don't tell each other's business. Oh, so there's an umbrella of Christendom, and the marriage is over here outside of it. No. So it's like, you see the extremes? One is like, my, my husband didn't like my dinner. He is not loving me like Christ loves the church. What? My wife didn't respect me today because she didn't tell me I was handsome. Man, that's so weird, right? We work things out. You do this when you've exhausted all options. We filter everything through the lens of all of the Bible. We don't take any one thing and make that. That's what cults do. Get it? It's all about love. And yes, the end goal is to keep God's people set apart. All right, new guy. Now you lost everything. Just kidding. Matthew 18. See, that would be weird. Let me ask you guys a question. How real is this stuff? That's the thing. I say it all the time. If you're new here, maybe this will be the first time you've heard it. You know, I don't understand why you play this game halfway. That it, I actually think you're a crazy person. If I offended you and you're new, that's fine. I, I only get one chance to talk to you anyway. You're a crazy person if you halfway do Christianity. If you're here just learning, that's different. But if you say, I'm a Christian, I claim the name, but you only do it halfway, you have created a cult in which you worship yourself but call it Jesus. You either do this or you don't. Now, that doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean all that. But like, and that goes for everything. And it's sad because we've, some Christians, you know, I remember the lady that came to us and she said, your church needs to keep doing what it's doing. It's a beautiful thing. She says, because there are a lot of not just unchurched but de-churched people that need to know there's a place that they can be loved and accepted. She's told us that. Never met her, never saw her again. I've never saw her again. She came and told us that at our baptism service. That was beautiful. It was a reminder. I believe it was Holy Spirit. You know what that means? That means a lot of people, some of you out there, the re- you love Jesus so much and you know you're called, but you're scared to death because you were t- hurt and burned by another place that didn't do it right. 
Just because sometimes people fail and church fail doesn't mean God's word was wrong and it doesn't mean we don't have to follow it still. Now, let's, let's back up. And I've been hammering this lately for everyone. And listen, there's a, there's a thousand good churches out there. Am I biased to this one? Maybe. I don't care where you go, and, I, and this is a God honest truth, but you need a church home where you can be loved, accepted, welcomed, treated like family, forgiven, called out sometimes. People can't do any of this to you if they don't know you. Well, it's the church's fault. They don't come and talk to me. Really? You slip in and you slip out, and they're supposed to help you? They can't do that if they don't know you. So that's my first thing. Is this real to you? Secondly, do you forgive how you want to be forgiven? Because God says that. Do you forgive 489 times? 490? Are you willing to walk through some ugly things with your brothers and sisters because you love them that much? Or are you just going to pretend it doesn't happen or do the other thing and shoot some sheep? Have you been hurt? Has somebody shot you when you were a sheep? Have they jumped out and, and kicked you out and shamed you and treated you like, you know, hey, if you make any human mistakes, you can never serve in ministry. And that's why you sit back and, and, and think you don't have gifts to use for the kingdom because what? You've sinned? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No random pastor out there who says ridiculous things and hears that and says, oh my goodness, it's in the Bible. Yes, I'm looking at the camera because you came here to shoot some sheep. Get out of here. Do you forgive how you want to be forgiven? Are you willing to walk this out because you love your brothers and sisters that much? Jesus said it. Is it black or white? Black and white. <laughs> Michael Jackson. Is it black and white? doesn't matter if you're black or white. Oh, no? Okay. If you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, that sounds a lot of scary stuff today. But here's the beautiful thing, is that no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've went, the Bible says that in the midst of our sin, in our worst place, Jesus came to us. And if you're in the room and you're a Christian, you knew that, but you think he stops coming in there? You think he won't reach down in the muck again? He's never let you go, Remember? The gospel is really simple. It's good news. Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone is messed up on their own. And we can't fix ourselves and we can't get to God. Listen, but some of you in the room, you think that you're a Christian, you're saved because you ain't got a problem with Jesus. But that's not how it works. Yeah, I'm cool with Jesus, but I like to go my own way. No, it's his way or no way. But if you're in the room and you don't know, he loves you so much that he gave a way for you to come home always. By paying the price that you've earned, the punishment that you have racked up, right, the debt that you owe, it has to be paid. And before you say, that's ridiculous, really? Well, let me burn your house down. And then when I get taken before the judge, I'm like, hey, I'm a really good person most of the time. And they go, yeah, he is. Go home. That's not justice. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Hey, church, did you know you're sinning when you decide not to do what he said. I didn't want to say it. Be in church. And I'm saying that as a guy who was a Christian. He's like, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Anyway, I got interrupted. Gospel to tell you that. Listen, God loves you right where you're at. Doesn't mean you got to get plugged in here. Doesn't mean anything. I didn't get plugged into the church I was saved at when someone told me this good news. Here's the good news. Even now, no matter all the shame that you feel, the hurt, the brokenness, Jesus is right now. God himself, God made man saying, I'm here. Come home. We can be healed, cleaned, and made whole 
And know that if we died in this moment after, in that moment after that you'd be with him in heaven, you'd be in eternity in paradise with him forever. And that's not the end. That someday he's going to fix all this mess and bring all of his people back together. So how do you do that? Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and mine and was raised on the third day to defeat death so that you can too. But you can't just know that. Some of you in this room, I think you, you know that, but you've never done this next part. He did. Jesus of Nazareth existed. He died on the cross, was raised on the third day. The Bible says if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. It's paraphrasing, but that's what it says. If that's you today, you can have that today. I was that guy. I'm not even going to trick you because they told me to raise my hand, and then we went back behind that. How creepy would that be? But we did. It just wasn't bad. It was a big room. They prayed with me, but you can do it. You can do it right now. You can find someone in a blue shirt. You can come and find me. I'm serious. I'll meet with you, whatever. If you're that person, they say, I want Jesus, I've never done it, come find me. Because it's the greatest thing that will ever happen to you. And in that moment, it's over. He'll never let go of you. And you're about to go on the greatest adventure of your life. It's not easy, it's not always fun, but it's very, very, very good. God never, ever, ever lets go of his people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And Lord, I ask that you move. Lord, I pray that your people would begin to truly live as your people, even when it's messy. (laughs) That, God, we would trust your word, that we would love radically, not just surface level. That we would do the things that make us uncomfortable, not because they make us uncomfortable, but because you've told us to do them. And if you've told us to do them, then they're good. I pray for those that are hurt and shame, who've been hurt by the church who've been shamed or broken or told that, hey, you have to play the game, and and, and they left because deep down they're like, I can't play this game, I can't play the masquerade. God, let them know that's not the way it's supposed to be. Lord, for those in the room that don't know you, Holy Spirit, grab a hold of their heart and don't let go until they make a decision. They respond to your spirit. We pray for all of those in this room to just even one instant, one little tiny bit more that they would know how much you love them. We thank you, Father. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.